This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at www.teachbetterpodcastnetwork.com. Now let's get on to the episode. Welcome back to the Principal Leadership Lab, a podcast experience created for you by two public school administrators. Without further ado, let's join Jeff and Adam in this week's episode. Hey, Adam, welcome back. Another episode of the Principal Leadership Lab. I'm so glad to be here with you this afternoon. Thanks, Jeff. I'm great. I'm doing well in, in Northeast Wisconsin. Uh, I know this episode won't air for quite a while or at least several weeks, but uh, we do have something we should be celebrating, and Jeff is going to be telling the big five zero. Oh my gosh! You the big five zero. Bring that up. You I had know. to bring that up. Yeah, yeah. Yep. I, I am, I am super excited about that. Let me, let me pull out my calendar and tell you what I've got a, got going on that day. I've got a three hour administrative cabinet meeting that starts at ten o'clock and goes through lunch, which they won't feed us for, yep. and I'll have to sit there through that. And you're going to feel uh, like you're seventy five by the time that's done. Uh, yeah. And then I think you and I actually record that night. Uh, we do. It's a, it's a middle of the week in October and um, middle of the month in October, rather. And you know what? I'm super excited about it. I, I, you know what I did? Uh, my birthday gift to myself as I'm turning 50, right? I got a huge tattoo on my arm. My first tattoo ever. What I'm and finding I, kind of I strange went... is that it's a picture of me. That's what the weird part is. <laughs> Yeah, well, I haven't showed it to you yet, but um, you, I've seen yeah, it. You're, you're right, Adam. It is a picture of you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. If you look anything like, uh, never mind. But it, I'm super stoked about it. Um, you know, I, I've decided to either go big or go home. And uh, 50 seemed like a good age to do that. I've always wanted one, and I'm I'm just super thrilled. So it felt how I thought it was going to feel. Good. And uh, I'm I'm perfectly fine with that. I'm really excited about it. So I can't well, hey, wait. Speaking man. of I can't wait. going big or going home, who do we yeah, have yeah. with us tonight? Oh my gosh. Tonight, Adam, I'm so excited for our guest tonight. Go big or go home. Two DeWitts. Two DeWitts on the show tonight. We want to bring in author consultant, Peter DeWitt. Peter, how are you doing tonight, my friend? I'm doing well, guys. And Jeff, I feel your pain. I turned 50 on September 3rd. Oh, well, happy late birthday. But I already have three tattoos, so I guess I have to go and get a fourth now. You you probably should. (laughs) You probably should. Make sure it's like a full leg or something. (laughs) (laughs) No, I don't so we have more in common, Peter. Not only do we have the last name, we're wearing the same clothes. We also celebrate our birthdays in September. Wow. Well, wow. Just, just to be clear, we're not wearing the same things. Oh, yeah. like, I think, you know, if there's a visual, that might be a better idea. We just both happen to be wearing yellow T-shirts with a blue uh, sweatshirt yeah. at the top. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. Just, for li- for our listeners, thank the, you. The, the host. <laughs> thank you for the clarification. People are going to wonder since there's no video with this. This yeah. might have to be our first vlog so that people can actually see. <laughs> Guys didn't actually do. Well, that I can't purpose. because I have mask beard from wearing my mask all day, so I'll have to flip uh, it up. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Well, Peter, listen. Thanks again for coming on the Principal Leadership Lab. We are so excited to have you on today, and let let's just get into it a little bit here. I mean, you you know, as we look at your bio, which anyone can find on your website. I mean, you, we can see that you've been a former K-5 teacher. Actually, I, I just learned recently that most of those years were spent as a kindergarten teacher, right? Kindergarten or first grade, no, wasn't it? First grade. 
first grade. grade. Okay, yeah, it was first, first grade. grade. I knew it was first really, really young. Years, yeah. Wow, that's amazing. I mean, you you are a principal. You are you're an independent consultant. You write for Education Week. I mean, talk just for our listeners who might not be as familiar with you. Just tell us a little bit about your story, man. I mean, how did you get involved in education in the first place? Oh, boy, that's, yeah, that's a long. That's a longer <laughs> story. Um, believe it or not, I actually was. Uh, I'm the youngest of five. I was retained in fourth grade. Uh, my dad died when I was in fifth grade. My mom went back to your GED when I was in sixth grade. And I honestly graduated fourth from last in my class from high school. Uh, wow. And then I, I fouled out of two community colleges. I know people are going to be like, seriously, this is who you have as a guest on your show. <laughs> um, you know, but uh, I, I went to, um, I went to a, a Harvard, uh, Harvard. <laughs> Let me, let me take that back. I went to Hudson Valley Community College in uh, Troy, New York, and I happened to be a long distance runner, and my coach there said, listen, wait, you're not going to be a professional runner. I need you to go into the Learning Assistance Center if you want to run with us. So I walked in with a 1.7 GPA, and that semester I walked out with 3.86, and um, mm. I started working. I, I didn't have a lot of money or anything, so I was working in an after-school program for kids, and I just couldn't believe I got paid to work in an after-school program. And that's ultimately when I knew I was going to go to, I went to um, the College of St. Rose in Albany, New York, and I ran, we were D2. And um, I went into elementary education and just like, I had the greatest mentors when I student taught and uh, this guy, Dave Kazanznak, he was somebody I did my observation hours with and then I student taught with him and we still talk to this day. Actually, I did a training, he's a principal and he was in the training, so that was full circle. But um, I think just one thing led to another. I loved working with kids and uh, I loved the whole idea of elementary ed. So yeah, I spent, I spent 11 years in mostly high poverty city schools and then became a principal in a rural suburban school district. So. Wow. Wow. What a great, what a great story. I mean, I, I, I've never taught below sixth grade. And so I can't imagine first grade, man, I've always felt like that was such a huge burden or huge pressure. Like yeah. your responsibility is to get them to read. Oh yeah. I have 30 first graders too. And you know, what's strange is that I am actually, so I officiate, I can officiate weddings. Um, mm. And I am actually this coming weekend, I am officiating the wedding of two of my former oh. first graders. It's That's just excellent. really like they reached out and said, would you, would you officiate our wedding? I'm like, wow. Like I, you know, wow. that's crazy, right? But former first graders, when you're a teacher, ask you to officiate. So yeah, I, um, I loved, I, I did not think I would want to teach first grade, honestly. Um, I really thought because I student taught in fourth grade, I thought I wanted fourth grade and up. And, but the funny thing is when you don't have money, you've got college loans and the school district hires you to teach first grade, you, you teach first grade. Yeah. And it was honestly like the best thing that could have happened to me back then. It just taught me so much about engagement and, you mm. know, patience. And, and also, even though I came from a sort of what people might perceive as a tougher background, um, I met so many kids that came from places that were so much tougher than me. So honestly, it was 11 years that I do not regret whatsoever. I learned so much about them and about me during that time. It was hugely powerful. Wow. That is, that's excellent. Uh, you know, 
there's a couple of things I heard in Peter's um, opening there. First of all, not often do I hear other people say, listen to it. I hear. So <laughs> I'm glad to hear that other DeWitts have had to hear that same thing. I know that my GPA wasn't rocking in high school. In fact, uh, my oldest daughter, um, we went to scholarship night at her high school and I sat next to a former classmate of mine. We had daughters in the same grade level. And I, I said to her, her name is Michelle. I said, Hey, Michelle, did we have this back when we were in school scholarship night? And she said to me, Adam, we didn't have the GPA to get invited to this. <laughs> and here I am, a principal. You know, I, it's gone full circle. No kidding. You're right, man. You said you said uh, what resonated with me is that you learned so much about engagement from teaching those young kids. You know, my first first ever teaching job was it was down in Blue Island, Illinois, Cook Cook County. And like you said, you know, you, you whenever you get offered that first teaching job, you got loans to pay back. You take mm-hmm. it. And so this was down south, southern Illinois, not southern Illinois, but Cook County, Illinois, uh, eighth grade in a very tough school. And I learned a thing or two about engagement too. I learned that I didn't know anything about <laughs> it. And I still probably don't like those kids. I, I couldn't get them. In, I couldn't get them interested. I must've been really boring. Yeah. First it was, graders it was hard. You know within about a minute and a half, whether they like your teaching or not, they, uh, like, their bodies start to wiggle and yeah. And you know, back then I had a, you know, my principal, he had been in the school district for 50 years. Um, and I give him credit because he said, what do you need to be able to teach first grade? And I asked him if we could move all the desks out of the room. And I was brand new. I said, can we move all the desks out of the room and get tables? Because I know that kids shouldn't be sitting at desks. And he supported me. Um, We really did it. Uh, So, you know, yeah, there's just so much that I learned back then about engagement. That was, that was really, really important. My only experience at that young level was during my uh, college years, and I was assigned to one of the early, you know, practicum hour types of things in, in South Elgin, Illinois, just outside of where Jeff is speaking about, and then where we eventually met at Heritage Elementary School, same mm-hmm. school district, U46. And uh, I remember working in the first grade classroom and thinking, is this all we do is tie shoes? This is so you're gonna, <laughs> you're paying me to be yeah. a teacher to tie shoes. Why don't we have slip-ons or or something? <laughs> so Velcro. I, I was like unbelievable. I, I felt now like later in life I tied hockey skates for my son, and my fingers are still sore from that from first grade. Though I had calluses, I'm ready to go. That's awesome. You so have to teach a- him everything. Absolutely everything. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, hey, the eighth grade too, man. I had to teach them kids everything, or maybe they just didn't, uh, they didn't want to learn anything. I could have been it. I had a lot to learn, man. Hey, Peter, there's a, there are a couple of transitions, you know, in, there in your career too. So, you know, after teaching, you went to the principalship and after the principalship, well, we'll get to that in a minute, but do you remember at the time, you know, we've, we've talked to a lot of um, uh, up and coming educators who are thinking about going into administration. Do you remember what it was at the time that, that pushed you towards administration and out of the classroom? Yeah, you know, when I was, when I had first started teaching, I was going back to get my master's degree in ed psych. Um, and my principal, the one who had been there for a long time said, I think you need to go back for school administration. And I said, I actually remember in the hallway saying, no, I'm never going to be a school principal. Mm. So there are these two guys that I used to see at the gym that I worked out at in Poughkeepsie, New York and, um, Joe and Tony, and they were both retired teachers. One was a retired counselor. And I told them what, uh, my principal had said, and they said, why did you say no? And they said, I could never be a principal like that. That's just not me. And they said, what if you could be the principal you want to be, not the one you think you have to be? And it was almost like those words just stuck with me. So I moved up to Albany a couple of years later, 
And I started working at a, a high poverty city school. And that, that was when I started to realize that I would watch the principal and I would think, geez, I would do that differently or I would do that differently. And I thought, oh, oh, here it comes. Like I never thought mm. I'd do it, but suddenly I'm thinking about the things I would do differently. And it's not that I thought I was the best. It wasn't ego driven. It was just that I felt like, well, if you think you can do it, then step up and do it. So I ended up going back to get my degree, a second master's in, in administration. Um, but at the same time, believe it or not, because school is expensive and I was putting myself through it, I actually got hired as an adjunct professor. So it was really an amazing couple of years where I was, I was teaching, doing an internship, and then I was going to take a class for my, you know, my admin degree. And then I would leave that class and I would teach because you're an adjunct, you get the, mm. the crappy classes. I was teaching 915, uh, 7.15 to 9.45. And um, I remember just loving it. Like I loved it all. I loved the writing part. I loved it all. And it was probably a year after I finished my degree because I was still an adjunct and I really liked that. And I didn't feel like I wanted to leave the classroom yet. And then uh, honestly, a year later, um, I found out that a school, believe it or not, a place that I used to go to run because it was very hilly. It reminded me of growing up in the in the foothills of the Adirondacks where I lived. Um, I used to go over there to run and I found out that there was an elementary school in that district that was actually hiring. So I interviewed and um, mm. it was in front of a panel of 17 people. Holy smokes. Yeah, and I remember feeling completely calm and that was not like I deal with anxiety and those kind of things. I just remember feeling completely calm. And it was it was the person I was going to be taking over for. She was moving to assistant superintendent. The assistant super was moving up to super. Um, there were teachers, parents, and it was just uh, they were I remember they were going to make me wait about six weeks before the second interview. And four days later, they called me and said, can you go in front of the board tonight? I was like, wow. Um, and I got hired. And that was, you know, that was mid, like April, early April. And I didn't officially start till July 1st. But I actually, um, my the person I was taking over for said, listen, come over whenever you want. I was still teaching, so I couldn't go over during the day. But one night a week, I was going over to the school to get to know the teachers. And they had like a special open house. And um, I took two personal days and went to spend the day at the school. So by the time July 1st came around, I actually knew everybody. And it just felt like that. I, I don't just remember it fondly. Like it just, it was that way. And um, so that's probably more than you wanted to know, Jeff, from your question. That's awesome. No, but that's yeah, that's, that's the transition that I made. And it just, I loved being a principal. I never thought I would. I actually thought, you know, when I was growing up, I, I don't even know if I knew all the principal's names and all that stuff. I just wanted, I remember what Joan Tony told me. And that was mm -hmm. that, like, be the principal you want to be. And that's, I felt like I could do that. Wow. I, I, you know, that's such great advice. I, I wish, I hope all of our listeners really can take something from that. Be the principal you want to be. I mean, you, you can apply it to the classroom, be the teacher you want to be because so many times so often, and we still do this today, you know, um, we, we, we try, we watch people, we, we listen to people. We say, I should do, I should be doing that. I should do that. This imposter syndrome sets in sometimes where you feel like, Oh, I, I really, I can't do that. Who am I to think that I could do that, but just be the principal you want to be or be the leader you want to be. I think we get so much further with that. 
Yeah, I took over for somebody who was really beloved. I mean, she was she was mm. loved. And so it, it was hard for the first I don't know, six or seven months because I remember going into faculty meetings and thinking like, wow, this feels like Sharon's faculty meeting. And then I finally got to the point where I said, wow, I'm not Sharon. But they gave me the, my teachers gave me the opportunity to do that. And I think there's something about with what we're saying. I was very fortunate because please keep in mind that it was a good fit. Like it was a really good fit and that speaks volumes. But number two, my I had so many teachers that were on my panel of 17 that, um, and it was actually the first time, believe it or not, I was, I think I was the fifth principal in 50 years and I was the first guy. And um, I was the only one that had elementary teaching experience. So when I, so it actually, the teachers felt like they picked me, right? And I think that's powerful. It's a lot of that efficacy. Goes far. Yeah, it does. And I realize it only goes so far because you also have to step up to the plate and you have to be able to, you know, follow through and be open. But I think because of the fact that they gave me the flexibility to grow, it made me want to return the favor and make sure that I was, I was giving them the same courtesy. So what I think is you could even write about this and make it a, um, a blog post about the transition period that you had where the outgoing principal welcomes the new incoming principal to kind of train them. I mean, that's a, that doesn't happen. And I guess it can't always happen. Sometimes it's cantankerous in the transition, but in that specific situation that probably gave you, you know, a platform to come in, you are all of a sudden the beloved principal's, you know, protege that they can see, Oh, look, she's giving him credit. Let's, let's give him a chance. I felt like I was being, I feel like I was being properly mentored and um, you know, the superintendent, she had gone from assistant superintendent to superintendent and she's somebody I still talk to to this day. She's out, she's out in Washington state, but it was the same thing. It was tell me what you need. Tell me how I can help you. Um, and, you know, even if you screw up, we're going to talk to you about it, but we're going to be here for you too, because we want you to be successful. And I find that sometimes, and I think that's what I've tapped into with the writing that I do for leadership. Sometimes, as you both know, you might go through and get your degree and you get handed the keys and then it's like, you've got the building, bye-bye. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I didn't, I didn't have that experience. Even the colleagues... There, it was a smaller district. There were, you know, at the time there were five elementary schools, but one was a, a K3, um, four, five building. So it was the same principle for both buildings. It happened to be on the same campus. So, so technically, I guess you could say five, five or four elementary schools. Um, but even those colleagues, we, you know, they were supportive. Like they reached out. They, wow. Yeah. And that was, and I think part of it was that we were all, we were all new to our positions. Um, whether the internal people had just moved up to from assistant principal to principal, some were new to the district. Like one person got hired probably eight months before me. She came from from outside the district, and then others, like in my case, the assistant, the principal who I took over for became the assistant superintendent. So I almost wonder if um, in that newness, there's also that they want to collaborate, they want to connect as much as I wanted to connect because I'm, I, if anybody reads anything I write, it's the connection piece is what I think is the most important. Like how do we connect together and, and you know, foster growth there? 
So yeah, I was, I have no doubt. I was very fortunate. I was there for uh, seven and a half years before I left mm. to start working with John Hattie. Um, and it was going to take a pretty amazing experience for me to actually leave that position. Mm. But I had gone back. I went to get my doctorate. I, I started to write articles then. And then I started to write for Ed Week. And then, you know, a couple of years later is when I met Hattie and everybody from my publisher. So um, it was going to take a pretty amazing experience for me to leave leave my teachers. Uh, and, the, and you know, the great thing about Facebook is I connect to so many teachers and parents sure. and, and kids and stuff. But um, yeah, it was... I've been very lucky. I know that sounds to some people that might sound very Pollyanna-ish, but quite honestly, I've been very fortunate in whether I was teaching at high poverty city schools and what I learned there and who I became or in the principal position or even now in my life as a consultant and author over the past seven years. I think I've just been really fortunate with the connections that I've made in the learning. Mm. It's so true. That's so true. I, I mean, if there's one thing that I, I pulled out of there from you that you said, it's tell me what you need. Tell me how I can help you, you know, and I think whether you whether you learn that or whether you and, and, and speak that to people in your in your work as a leader and in your work now. I mean, I think you I think you mentioned lucky. You've been very lucky. But I think that the choices you make in the within your work with intention around people, you know, because it's a people business that draws choices to you. It opens doors for you, you know. Yeah, yeah, I there's definitely that. And I think that has something to do with the fact that the way I grew up, like um, I remember when I was teaching, I had a friend that I was teaching with that his, his family would like make fun of him because he was a teacher. And I did not have that experience. Like my mom never remarried, but she would introduce me like, this is my youngest son, Peter. He's a teacher. Um, and even my siblings were just like, this is, this is my brother, Peter. He's a teacher. It was just this sense of pride um, that they had, that was pretty amazing. And then when mm. I became a principal, it was the same thing. So yeah, I agree with you, Jeff. I think that sometimes it's when you grow up maybe in a, in very humble circumstances with a very supportive family, um, sure. and they make you feel like the choices you're making are, are powerful. And they, they sort of honor for lack of a better way of saying it, um, the decisions you've made from a professional standpoint, they're so supportive. I think that sure. also happens too. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Absolutely. Like, you've got some hard work ethic too designed in there, maybe from your upbringing mm -hmm. as well. You, even looking at uh, finding common ground, you know, mm -hmm. publishing a, a weekly blog isn't, it, that's not as easy as people think. Jeff and I participate <laughs> in a couple of other Voxer groups with aspiring administrators, actually aspiring writers who are right. administrators and setting aside 30 minutes a day to write. And even if it's only for our own reflection in the purpose of growing us as professionals in our current position, if it's not for development of a book or something like that as well, but you're doing this every week, that that's gotta be some kind of discipline to get that done. Yeah. You know, it's funny when I, I took this class, when I was doing my admin degree, it was called critical issues and mm -hmm. Jim Butterworth, who became my mentor and he actually became my doctoral chair. He, um, we used to go to class and we didn't have a book. We had education week and we had to read six articles. So, you know, fast forward about five or six years, I got hired to write for education week. And it was a, it was really a, a pretty phenomenal experience for me. Um, at that time, I was actually writing three blogs a week. I was writing, wow. I was posting, I think it was like maybe Monday, Wednesday, Sunday, or Monday, I can't remember, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, or something like that. 
And I was also moonlighting with ASCD and Huffington Post because I think people think you have this built-in audience. And honestly, when I first started writing the blog, I had about 200 readers a month. Um, so I wanted to find ways to sort of branch out and get noticed. And ASCD was was very, Sean Slade from Whole Child was um, like very much a partner in that, wanting me to write blogs there. And then the Huffington Post, I was writing some stuff there. And then when... Um, and then there were other people that like Tom Whitby was a part of Smart Brief and stuff. And then when I got to the point where my numbers were going up and up, I sort of had to go over, but I was writing three blogs a week for probably about five or six years. And then it just got to be too much with book writing and traveling and all that stuff that I went to one day a week, which is, and I post primarily on Sundays. Wow, wow. Fantastic. Well, I mean, I know we talk about, you know, in our circles um, with with leaders, work ethic and, and leadership habits and and uh, how we could just continue to keep growing. And so that kind of leads us into the into our next question. I'm going to preface it by saying, you know, you, you've written, is it seven books at last count? Yeah, is that, yeah. is that and with three more in the works, right? Or three yeah. more on the on the slate, right? A plethora yeah. of articles, you have a YouTube channel, you're, you're speaking, you're writing on staff with Education Week, you're still doing sounds like some work uh, with a visible learning training with John Hattie and his team. Um, along the way, Peter, there, ha- there has to have been a challenge, you know, pro- probably many uh, in your educational journey, but we like, we really like to get into challenges with guests who come on the show and just kind of talk about maybe what, what one of your challenges along the way was in your, in your career, or maybe a current challenge you're going through right now and kind of how you worked through that or are, are processing through that maybe. Yeah, I think there are, I mean, there are a couple that I can think about when I was a principal, one of the things that I wrote about in collaborative leadership, which was probably for me, the book that sort of skyrocketed my presentation and and all that stuff. Um, In about 2011, 2012, uh, we went through in our school district, um, budget cuts, low enrollment in New York State, uh, parents were having fewer children. So we, there was a decision made to close a one classroom per grade level school that was really seen as like the private school in the public school setting, but made the decision to close in March. And uh, I was absorbing the whole population in September. Hmm. So um, a parent from that school actually created a hate blog and she went after gay administrators and, and it really, it was really awful. It was uh, supposed to be, it was like unmoderated, but it was, it was, it was really awful actually. And what happened, it was sort of surprising because I never read it because I didn't think I was going to read anything worth reading. Um, and I had, I mean, the, the community, they were reading it and she felt power. Like every time wow. she got a click, like it was, it was power. And I remember there were two board members that actually said, Oh, that's my weekly entertainment. And they said, you'll have to excuse me, but I don't find that very entertaining. Wow. And, um, there were some times, so we had two special open houses and the first time I got heckled at the open house and that wasn't going to happen again. Um, I was not, you know, I, that just wasn't happening again. My teachers deserved more respect and the kids were going to be okay, sure. right? So by the second open house, it was it got a little bit better, but during the summer, like I got together, we always had PTA meetings during the summer because I really liked my PTA. 
And we even designed like this ice cream social the week before, remember it's elementary school, the week before yes. school starts. And um, we literally thought there was going to be like a fist fight because it was that contentious. And it was really interesting to watch because kids started to come onto the playground all at the same time. And I had, um, my school was awesome. Like we had 27 acres of land. So they wow. came onto the fields and uh, you could see kids just be like, oh, you go to school here? You're on my baseball team. And parents that were like, oh, hey, I went to high school with you and that kind of stuff. And I would say like 50% of the stress went away. And then on the first day of school, that was going to be stressful because we weren't sure how it was going to play out. And like when you're a, when you're a student in a one classroom per grade level school and you're the odd man out, and then you go to a school where you make friends and you get invited over to somebody's house. Like, it's interesting how parents sort of say, oh, you know, this isn't so bad. But we also had to be very conscious that I wasn't looking for that school to just be completely absorbed into ours. We really had to be conscious about creating new traditions because, mm -hmm. you know, and I learned a lot from that experience. Like, yeah, you know, it's kind of like, you can't, you can't have the same traditions and expect people to just be a part of it. You have it's to true. create new ones. And so that's what we did. And I knew that that, that was going to be a year long thing because every holiday, everything was going to be, this isn't the way we used to do it. Or they, they would wear t-shirts from their former school. And it's like, you know what, we're going to live. We're going to make it through. Um, I wrote about that experience for educational leadership. Mm -hmm. uh, it was actually the first article I wrote for ASCD's educational leadership. It was called Surviving a School Closing. I would say the second one more recent for me is that, um, you know, like everybody else, work can be very encompassing. Mm -hmm. And I got to the point where I was on the road probably 45 to 47 weeks a year. Wow. And I remember distinctly a couple of years ago, I was flying, I was presenting every day and I was flying every night. I, I honestly have five days on the road that week and I was flying all every night. Wow. And I got to the point where I, I really started to burn out. And I really started to forget why I was doing this in the first place, because you're writing, you're, you know, presenting and all that stuff. And um, I had to step back and start looking at anxiety. And I started doing meditation. And I had, I had been good at exercising, but by that time, I had gained a lot of weight. Um, so I actually for the past two and a half years, really went on a mission to um, practice daily mindfulness and meditation exercise. I've lost 35 pounds, wow. um, eating healthy, that kind of stuff. So I think one was the stress created from work and getting through that. And then the other one with being on the road so much was something that I was also doing to myself. So I've written a lot. I write a lot about mindfulness and meditation for the blog because I think it's important to look at what boundaries do we set for ourselves. So I would say those are the two, two challenges that sort of stick out in my head right now. So true. So true. And I know a lot of people appreciate and need that right now, you know, about yeah. uh, mindfulness and just taking, taking good care of yourself. And uh, so easy right now, especially to, to get bogged down in, in the mire of, of that. And, and hopefully, hopefully people can start to see silver lining. So those are some great, great stories there, Peter. Appreciate that. Before I follow up with a kind of a closing question, I see that, you know, you, 
I saw in your bio that you travel a lot and then you just mentioned about traveling a lot. Yeah. Is there anything that you can glean and share with our listeners that, you know, that, that you picked up the one thing or are there two or three things from other countries that make them better or, you know, something that we don't see in America that we could benefit from? Well, there's a lot actually. So <laughs> there, there is, and I don't mean that in a disparaging way. Sure. Um, so I do a lot of work in the UK all around North America and then Australia. And I'm starting to do more work in Asia now. And I remember being in Norway last year and the, the taxi driver that picked me up from the airport, very small, like South, Southwestern Norway. Um, taxi driver said, just make sure if you need anything that you get it by four o'clock. And I was like, what are you talking about? And he explained to me that every day, except for Thursdays, things shut down at four o'clock. And then on Thursdays, I think they're open till seven, like the grocery store and that kind of thing. And it's really about family time. It's about mm. um, shutting down work and making sure you're home and you're celebrating time with your family. And honestly, I was in Norway for a week. It was for a research conference. And that was one thing that stood out to me so much about the idea of shutting it down. And it's, you know, in the United States, and I'm, I'm, I'm partly, I mean, I have definitely done this to myself. We, we work ourselves into the bone and we're even, we, we work on Saturdays and Sundays. I used to go into the office on Sunday mornings and you almost wear like a badge of honor. And in other countries, it's not a badge of honor, actually. Right. It's the fact that it's showing you that maybe your priorities um, are not correct. Um, so I would say that would be, that would be one thing. Um, I do a lot of work in Australia and I actually have very good friends in Australia and they, you know, just the connection um, that I will have with people that like my friend, Helen, honestly, every time I'm in Australia, she's like, you're staying with my husband and me yeah. um, for a couple of nights. I'm like, no, nah, I'm getting a hotel room. She's like, no, you're getting out of the city and you're coming to stay. <laughs> so like that, um, that very strong connection relationship piece and saying, let's just like, you know, chill out together and it doesn't have to all be about work. Um, those are some things that I think, that I think definitely stick with me, you know, in the U S we great. just, um, you guys work so hard and we have to think about the time management piece and where does it get us? And I wrote a blog one time, I, I do a program logic model with a lot of my work and I talk about activities and impact. And I wrote a blog one time for Finding Common Ground called, um, Are You Activity Rich and Impact Poor? Mm. And I really feel like sometimes we're just, you know, social media, we're trying to grab something from Twitter or, you know, we see that our friends are doing this, so we should be doing that too. Um, and we grab all these activities and we don't even always talk to our teachers and students about it, so they don't even know why it's coming. And then when we look at the impact, we realize it doesn't always have a positive impact on mm. students and teachers. And, Part of that is also the responsibility of policies and the federal government and accountability and mandates and testing and all that stuff. Definitely that is a huge piece of it too, but sometimes we're doing it to ourselves because we feel like it's a badge of honor to be able to do, say we're doing all these things. And it's really looking at the, the evidence of impact to see if, if we're getting the bang for our buck, I think is important. That chart was similar so to your, your uh, blog post about pandemic to learning or virtual learning mm -hmm. as well with the, you know, the end was the impact. So what are we doing to, to make a better change? Right, right. <laughs> um, hey, Jeff, do you remember Australia back in U46, 25 years ago, we were using those reading cards about uh, 
where I have, I have a fly flying around my head. The, um, <laughs> the, uh, we, we had those reading cards that started when we were there together and they would follow the students and we were looking for indicators of reading for each of their developmental oh, levels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that we were trained from the, that group of that's professionals right. from Australia. I forgot all about that. Forgot well, that's all about 25 that. years ago. So, yeah, but that was good work. That's I wish stuff. we were still doing the same thing in That's Wisconsin. Stuff. Yeah. We've got some very strong ministries of education. I work a lot with, uh, with Victoria and Western Australia and, um, mm. like they just, uh, they have some really powerful ministries of education and they're looking at evidence of impact as well. And they're, you know, whenever I'm presenting now it's remote. So it's six to midnight for me. So sometimes I'm just, mm. you know, um, but they are, you know, they're, they're always very, very engaged and, yeah, it's, it's awesome. No, I would say the traveling piece is always something just alone. The idea of getting out to travel when you can, I think is important. I don't get to see all, like I see a lot of conference spaces, um, but when I am traveling internationally, I really do try to spend an extra couple of days mm. to hang out with like the friends that I've met there and, and that kind of stuff. I like Scotland. I do a lot of work in Scotland and and those are places that I always try to spend an extra few days in if I can, if my schedule allows it. And I would say that, you know, if anything, I think you'll learn a lot about yourself from a traveling aspect. I never, ever imagined. I mean, I just grew up without a lot of money. We, I didn't fly for the, I didn't fly for the first time till I was 26 years old. Wow. And um, so this idea of the traveling that I do now, you just learn a lot about yourself when you're, even when you're traveling alone, you learn about a, a lot about just negotiating through that time and space. And also trying to look at it from, it's more than just ticking something off the box. It's about sure. really sitting back and trying to enjoy the moments because not everybody gets the opportunity to travel. So we should consider ourselves fortunate when we do. So love true. that, love that so, insight. So much there. So today was our first day of virtual learning and it's October, what is it, the 5th? The six, sorry, six, October sixth. First day, we had to we had to bring it back. We have fourteen days at least of remote learning. I wouldn't even call it virtual, just remote learning. So, we're looking for things to share with listeners that are hopeful. Do you have a sixty second elevator speech of something that you can leave us with some hope about public school in the United States of America? Yeah, of course. I just i I think that um, too often there's been negative rhetoric and we need to actually focus on the positive. I know, I mean, teaching and leading has been an honor for me. And I think that there are just so many teachers and leaders that are trying to engage students that are coming from very challenging experiences and the effort that they put into those engagements and trying to, and, and try to create these lifelong relationships too with students. Um, I think there's a lot of hope. You know, we have so many challenges in the, in just in the country in general, that these people are, you know, making such a, many teachers and leaders are making a positive impact on students that, and we know it's been the old adage, you know, you might not, you might not know it today, but in the future you might. And mm -hmm. one of the things that I told you is that I'll be, you know, officiating the wedding of two of my former first graders from, yeah. 23, from 23 years ago. And I just think that that speaks to the power of the relationships that we foster in the public school system, despite a lot of challenges that might be coming at us. And I think we're doing a very, I think we're doing a really good job with it too. 
Well, thank you. That was 82 seconds. Yeah, it probably wasn't like a great new Rockney speech either. Let's, you know what, if you could ignore the elevator speech thinking it was supposed to be the new Rockney speech and listen to everything that I said leading up to that, that would be so much better for me. Well, hopefully they'll listen to it all. So it'll be good. Ah, uh, they will. They will. There's so much there to unpack, and so and just such an insightful and rich and and uh, uh, reflective conversation, Peter. We thank you for coming on tonight. Appreciate well, thanks, you taking guys. so much time with us. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, thanks. thanks for hey. having me. It's always good to talk to another duet. I say the same thing all the time because <laughs> because that happens so often. It does. If there were just more duets, yes, the world would be a better place. Right? That would have been a yeah. that'd be a great sixty second elevator speech, Jeff. Yeah. If there were just more DeWitts. Okay. On that note, um, <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Peter, hey, if people want to get a hold of you, ask you questions, uh, follow up, uh, where can they find you? I mean, on, on social yeah. media, where's the best place? Uh, probably the best place is just Google Peter DeWitt and my website will come up. Um, I'm on Twitter, you know, Peter on DeWitt. Um, but I would just say Google Peter, Peter DeWitt and I should come up pretty quickly with uh, websites and finding common ground and all that good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Well, everybody should check it out because I've enjoyed reading Peter's material for years now and it's practical and I appreciate your effort because when I read it, I can apply it and I don't always get that from every author. So thank you for your, your effort and your work. Thank you. I appreciate that very much, guys. It was good to be on the show. Yeah, we really appreciate that. Everyone, listeners, check it out. Go buy the books. Go check out the YouTube. We we hear that he's going to be putting more content on there very soon. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, thanks, my friend. Take good care of yourself, all right? right, Thank you. All right, Adam, catch you next time on the Principal Leadership Lab. Thank you for joining us on this week's episode of the Principal Leadership Lab. Feel free to connect with us in between episodes on Twitter and on Instagram. All of our information is included within our show notes. Until next time, this is Adam signing off for the Principal Leadership Lab.